Well, good morning. Welcome to Mercy House. My name is Robert, and I'm the lead pastor here, and we've been in a sermon series that we've been calling Path to Paradise, and we've said that human beings were created in and for paradise. We saw that in the covenant of creation, but we also saw that human beings broke relationship with God. They sinned against God, and so they experienced a paradise lost. That was the bad news, but the good news is that God immediately began to execute a plan to return sinful human beings back to paradise, and that's what we've been looking at in these covenants. So, uh, if, if, you've, if you've seen our little uh, kind of schematic of, of the, the Bible, basically, you've started off with where the tree is with the covenant of creation, but then once human beings broke that covenant, uh, then God made a promise to Adam and Eve that an offspring would come about and would bring them back to paradise. See the little, the little baby icon. And then throughout those other uh, covenants, the rainbow being the covenant with Noah, the knife being the covenant with Abraham, the tablets being the covenant with Moses, and then uh, the last covenant in the Old Testament, the covenant with David. You see the, the, the king and the king's throne. And with each of those covenants, God is in, unveiling more of Himself and more of the plan that He is executing to return human beings out from paradise lost and the effects of sin to a place where sin's been dealt with and they are back to paradise. Um, when we get to David in the Old Testament, it looks like we're there. It looks like we, we've made it to paradise. We have a people that God has gathered to Himself. He has put them in a land that He has promised them. He has put the center of worship there into that land in, the, in, in, in Jerusalem, in the temple. Uh, he has put a good king over that people in King David. And you think, we've made it. But then King David's kingdom crumbles. Solomon, the next king, David's son, leads Israel into idolatry. They worship other gods. Then the next king, King Rehoboam, is such a poor leader and does such a crummy job at leading Israel that it results in a divided kingdom. There's a northern kingdom that splits off from uh, the southern kingdom. And so you have northern kingdom Israel and southern kingdom Judah. Eventually, both of those kingdoms are then destroyed. They, the people in them totally exiled and scattered to all kinds of different nations. So what we have under David and in David's kingdom and what follows with the divided kingdom and with exile is not paradise. It is not paradise. And Israel is tempted to think perhaps these promises of paradise were a sham. And they were vulnerable to uh, not believing in God and, and not believing in His promises. We're not completely unfamiliar with that feeling. I feel like we have a lot of people trying to sell us paradise in this current day. And it oftentimes, it disappoints us. One, one little example, the fire festivals. Maybe some of you have seen this in 2017, the the fire Festival was going to be this amazing musical festival that was on a private island in the Bahamas. It, it, was, it was said to have the best, they used that word, best in food, art, music, and adventure. Paradise. I mean, what could go wrong, right? In the private island in the Bahamas. 
And it was promoted by these supermodels like, like Kendall Jenner and Haley Baldwin. And the tickets were between $12,000 and $50,000. And they were promised luxury villas. Some, some even were promised to be on yachts outside the island. Uh, gourmet meals, sexy supermodels, access to high-profile musicians. But this next photo is what they got. Small tents, prepackaged sandwiches like a convenience store might have, inadequate bathrooms, and very little musical entertainment. The founders of the Fire Festival uh, were that law enforcement actually charged them with fraud, and they had to pay millions of dollars in fines and are currently serving prison sentences and have documentaries on not just Netflix, but also on Hulu about the disaster of the fire Festival. I think Israel may have felt a little bit like they were promised a fire Festival, right? That things that were promised perhaps are not going quite as well as they were supposed to. And what happens when you feel like the promised paradise is not being given to you, is you're vulnerable to then take the carving out of paradise into your own hands. And Israel was in that place of temptation to carve out paradise. We do that, right? Every time we overeat or we overspend or we overwork, or we underwork or we hoard or we lust or we lie or we cheat or we steal. In a word, every time we sin... We're disbelieving the promises of paradise given to us by God, and we're taking paradise into our own hands. We're especially vulnerable to doing this when we're suffering. Those who are uh, in recovery from addiction are often given this little acronym as a, a warning sign, right? And the acronym is HALT, and it means hungry, angry, lonely, tired. And, and, and it's just a way to think about, okay, these are times when I'm especially vulnerable to giving in to whatever the addiction is that I'm trying to recover from. When I'm hungry, I'm angry, I'm lonely, I'm tired. Basically, when I'm suffering, I'm tempted to fall into sin, into to, to the addiction. Uh, Israel, again, is in this kind of place where they're vulnerable because of their suffering, to fall into sin, to turn away from God. And so what God does in His mercy is in this time of the divided kingdom and the exile, He sends prophets. He sends prophets to, to reassure them that He has not taken His hand off the wheel, that He is still working out His promises, that He still can be trusted. So this is what you have when you're reading books like Isaiah and Ezekiel and, and, and Habakkuk and Hosea, they, they, these prophets are speaking into either times of, of the divided kingdom or exile itself. And so what we have in Isaiah 7 is, is a time when the, the prophet is speaking into the time of the divided kingdom. And through this little portion of prophecy here, we get to, to see what this paradise is that God is returning them to and a bit about how He is going to return them to paradise. So what it is and how God's going to return them to paradise. So look with me 
again, on, to Isaiah 7, verse 10. So pick up, pick up those Bibles or look in your phone. Or I'm not going to have th- this portion on the screen. Isaiah 7, verse 10. So Isaiah verse, uh, 7, verse 10 says, Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. All right, so King Ahaz is who is receiving this prophecy. Now, King Ahaz was one of the kings of the southern kingdom, Judah. He ruled between 732 B.C. and 716 B.C., almost 300 years after David. He is a very bad king. Against the commands of God not to trust in the nation of Assyria, he becomes a puppet kingdom of Assyria. And he visits the Assyrian kingdom. Uh, He's so impressed with one of the pagan altars of worship that he sees in Assyria that he sketches out a little schematic of that altar, and he has a replica rebuilt in Jerusalem in the temple right next to the altar of the Lord. He's so committed to false religion that he himself offers his son as a sacrifice to the god Molech. And the way you you would offer a sacrifice to Molech is that you would heat up a metal statue of Molech until it was fire hot, and then you would put your infant in the arms of that fire hot statue. This is what Ahaz was like. And yet, God is speaking to Ahaz through a prophet. Such a mercy here. Now, obviously, this message is not just for Ahaz, it's for the nation of Israel, but but just the mercy of God to be moving toward a sinner like Ahaz and to speak words of truth to him. So, he says more than what we're looking at today, but what we want to look at today, I think, is helpful to, to, to understand some things about God's ways and what he's up to. And so, Isaiah 7, verse 11 says, Ask a sign of the Lord your God, let it be deep as Sheol and high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, I will not put the Lord to the test. So God says through Isaiah, Ahaz, I want you to ask for a sign. And I want you to ask for a really significant sign. One that is as high as the heavens and as deep as as Sheol, the place of the dead. He's saying, I want you to ask for a sign of cosmic proportions. a, a, A sign that speaks to both the seen and the unseen. Ahaz thinks it's a trick question, and he says, oh, no, 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 I will not ask God for a sign. It's not a trick question. When the prophet of God says, God wants you to do this, you do this. And so Ahaz, is, he's so confused about who God is and how God works that even when God is speaking to him through this prophet, he doesn't understand. He just should just do what God is saying. And so after he says, oh, no, 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 I won't test God, Uh, verse 13, uh, Isaiah says, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary God also? I love this. This is a little window into Isaiah, right? It's like, is it too much that you are wearying me personally? that I have to be the prophet assigned to you, King Ahaz, but now you're going to weary God? And then, in God's mercy, this this is, again, this is more grace, more mercy. He says, therefore, verse 14, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, 
The virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the, no- the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land where two, king, the two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. So Ahaz is, what he's worried about at this time is he's worried about these two nations that are lined up at his borders and they want to come in and take over. So one of them is Israel, the northern kingdom, and the other is Syria. Not Assyria, but Syria. And so they're breathing down his neck, and he doesn't know what to do. And so he's talking to the prophet. He's trying to figure out what what to do. And this sign is given to him in the context of that very stressful situation. So this sign, this prophecy has an immediate fulfillment, and it has an ultimate fulfillment. A lot of the prophecies in the Old Testament are like this, where they have some sort of an immediate context, an immediate fulfillment, but those things typify, they point forward to, an ultimate fulfillment down the line. And that's what we have here. And so he, he lets Ahaz know that even though he has these countries breathing down his neck and he's dreading them, right, like he has worked up over them, that God is going to be with him and with Israel in the midst of this. And he's going to do something about it really quickly. And he says it's going to be in the time frame that it takes for a young woman to get married, have a baby, and that baby grow up, but not enough of a growing up to eat solid food and know right from wrong. So he's describing a time frame to King Ahaz. Right? Before this baby grows up to know right and wrong and eat solid food, God's going to do something about these nations. And that's exactly what God does. In 722 B.C., the Syrians come in, and they totally wipe out Israel, the northern kingdom, and they take care of Syria. And the southern kingdom, Judah, continues on to 586 B.C. I'm going to say that again. So in 722 B.C., this is during the Ahaz's reign, God allows the Assyrians to come in, wipe out Israel, the northern kingdom, and wipe out the Syrians. And Judah, the southern kingdom, remains until 586 B.C. God does exactly what he says he's going to do. In a very short amount of time, he takes care of these two kings that Ahaz is dreading. Now, who is this virgin? Who is it? Or the young woman, right? And, and, and again, he's probably in, this con- in the immediate context, he's probably using this word virgin as a, a young woman, a young unmarried woman that gets married, has a kid, and that kid does not get old enough uh, to know right and wrong and eat solid food. Do we know who this woman is? No, we don't. We don't know the, who the woman is in the immediate context. Maybe one of his daughters, maybe a friend. I, I, I don't know. Maybe it's just a symbolic way of saying this is the time frame. But there's probably, there's probably somebody that he's kind of tracking her birth and, and, and then tracking how old this kid is. The other part of the sign is the name right? Not just the time frame, but the name, the name Emmanuel. And we know from the New Testament, we know that this name means God with us. And so he's letting Ahaz know, I haven't left Israel. 
I haven't left your nation. I am with you. I am with the, the nation the, uh, of, of Judah. And so this is a time when they're vulnerable in their suffering. And they're vulnerable to, to, to temptation, to go run to the Assyrians and, and give in to them. And he ends up doing that eventually. Uh, but, he, but God's letting him know, I'm going to make good on these promises that I've made to Abraham, to, to David, to, to Moses. All, all these promises, I'm going to make good. I haven't, uh, I haven't stopped. I'm not uninvolved here. I am going to make good, and you can trust that I am with you. Now, he, he lets us know through this the essence of the paradise that he's returning us to, and he hints at the how of returning us to that paradise. So, so he's, he's hinting at the what and the how, the essence of paradise that he's returning us to and the how. So the essence of the, of the paradise he's returning us to is dwelling with God. God with us. That's the center of paradise. That was the center of paradise in Genesis 2. Right? We see God creating Adam from the dirt, this very intimate way, and then blowing the, the breath of life into his being. So intimate, so, so relational. God is with human beings. He's with them in the cool of the day. We know he, he's, he's walking with them in the cool of the day in, in the garden. He's co-laboring with them. They're naming the animals. They're working together. They're stewarding the earth that God has created. It's a very intimate picture. God is dwelling with them. And then human sin destroys that. There's this disintegration between heaven and earth, between God and human beings because of human sin. And so if God is going to return us to paradise, He's going to have to, be able, he's going to, have to return us to a place where God is dwelling uh, with us. He's also hinting at the how, how He's going to accomplish God dwelling with us. Um, the Gospel of Matthew really unpacks this for us, and I would encourage you to turn to this. The first book in the New Testament, so Matthew chapter 1. It's the very first chapter of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 1. And Matthew chapter 1 is mostly a genealogy. It's like 42 generations of, of people in the Old Testament and the intertestamental period. And I think our temptation is we look at that and we go, oh my gosh, that's such a boring part of the Bible. I hate this. I'm going to go on to something more interesting. And I, I don't want you to do that. I don't want you to miss what Matthew's doing here. So think about how he introduces the genealogy. Matthew 1.1, 1, 1, this first verse in the New Testament, right? The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So he's immediately connecting Jesus to God's activity in the Old Testament, to what God did when he was promising Abraham. In, those, in that covenant. What God was doing when He promised David in that covenant. He, he's reaching back and, he, and he, He's showing the continuity between those things that God was doing and Jesus. And then He goes through the 42 generations and then Matthew 1.17, he, he gives a summary statement and He says, so all the generations from David, from Abraham to David were 14 generations. From David to de the deportation to, to Babylon, 14 generations. From the deportation to Babylon to the uh, Christ, 14 generations. And so Matthew's tracing 
through Abraham, through the time of David, through the deportation. And what he's talking about there is the exile. And this is when the southern kingdom, Judah, is destroyed and the people are scattered. And what he's saying is throughout all of that time, Abraham, David, even in the darkest time in Israel's history, God was there. God was at work. God was even at work when there were really bad kings who were completely screwing up. I mean, Ahaz makes the list. You notice that? Verse 9 in Matthew 1. Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, the father of, guess who? Ahaz. Ahaz in the line of Christ. And he's letting Israel know, no matter how dark it got, no matter how much suffering you went through, I never left you. I I was with you. I was working out my purposes. And my purposes were all culminating in Jesus Christ. Do you notice that Jesus is the big finish of this big, long genealogy? Thousands of years. And then he speaks of Jesus' birth. Matthew 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary was, had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David... Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. You read that, and you go, Matthew, that sounds crazy. A woman who is a virgin in the technical sense, right? I mean, he's using this not just as a young woman. He's saying she's never had sex, but she's pregnant, but she's never... What? Oh, yeah, conceived by the Holy Spirit. What? And even Mary and Joseph are having to have angelic visitations to say, no, 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 this is real. This, this is really what's happening. And then Matthew under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, makes a comment. So one verse, don't miss it, or two verses. Verse 22, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. He lets us know that the ultimate fulfillment of that prophecy that was made by Isaiah 700 years before Jesus is, is, is happening in that little baby boy that we sing about at Christmas. That He is Emmanuel. This is how God is accomplishing the path back to paradise. I think we think about the path to paradise like, God, you're taking us to paradise. We're in this paradise lost. You're taking us to some other place that is paradise. We want to go to an island off you know, the, co- the coast of the Bahamas, Lord. But he's like, no, no, no. The, reason, the way I'm going to bring you to paradise is I'm going to actually come to you in paradise lost. And that's what we have God doing. 
God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, taking on a human nature so that he can drop down in paradise lost. He brings paradise to us. And this is the first part of the how that Jesus, that God brings us to paradise, right? Is that he comes to us. Heaven comes down. And, and, and this is called the incarnation, right? The, when, when God the Son takes on a human nature, and we're going we're gonna to sing about this a bunch. You're going to hear it sung about, you know, in Target when you're walking through the, the aisles, right? We're going to be singing things like this. You, you can sing with me here. Christ by highest heaven adored. Christ the everlasting Lord, late in time, behold Him come, offspring of a virgin's womb. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with man to dwell, Jesus, our Emmanuel. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn King. But that incarnation will not be enough. It, it is amazing and it is encouraging that God comes down. He becomes a human being. Right? He takes on a human nature and He identifies with us. He knows what suffering is like in, in a human body. But He's not just here to identify He's here to save us from our sins. And this is also what the angel says to, to, to Joseph and Mary. He's like, hey, I got a name for this kid. I want you to name this kid Jesus. And that literally means Yahweh saves. The Lord saves. And so he, he, he's saying this one, this baby that, that, that is a, a little human, he's here not just to identify with humans, but to die in the place of sinful humans so that they can be rescued from sin, rescued from sin's effects. And so, there, yeah, there's no taking us somewhere <laughs> that's paradise. We're not fit for paradise. Paradise has to come to us. And so he comes down and he dies in our place on the cross so that we can be rescued from sin and from sin's effects. God's promises are not like the fire festival. They are not at all. Uh, the fire festival is a, a false promise of paradise, promised by people who are trying to usher themselves into paradise by taking millions of dollars from people. Instead, what we have is God leaving the paradise of perfect fellowship with God the Father and God the Spirit coming down into paradise lost so that we who are here living in paradise lost can be saved from our sin 
and sin's effects and delivered to paradise. Some of you here, you need, you need to hear this because you're, you are vulnerable to trying to carve out paradise for yourself because you're suffering. You're suffering. And so you're so tempted to, to, to say, well, you know, I, here I am, I'm, I'm kind of living in exile and it's really hard and sin and its effects are just bearing down on me. I'm just going to go for the shortcut. I'm going to carve out paradise for myself. I'm not going to trust the promises of God. And I want to say to you this morning, God is with you. He's with you. So much so that He came here in the flesh to identify with your suffering. He knows, He understands, He's sympathetic with our weaknesses, but also to die for the very sin that is causing your suffering. Sometimes that's your own sin, but just sin in general that causes human suffering. God is, God is with you. Trust in this God who is with you, who has saved you from your sin. It may be that you've never trusted in this God who is with us. And so I want to encourage those of you that have never done that. You've never put your full faith and trust in Jesus, Emmanuel, who's died in your place to forgive you of your sin and deliver you to paradise. If you've not done that yet, trust in Him today. Trust in Him. We had a handful of people actually do this in the first service to say, I've never trusted in Emmanuel, never trusted in Jesus, and I want to do that today. Do so today. From your heart to God, just declare to Him, pray to Him, I, I want this. I want to be forgiven. I want to, to trust in God with me. I was so encouraged at Meet Mercy House yesterday. We had Meet Mercy House where people were joining the church and wanting to get baptized and and uh, we always have a time where people share their own stories of, of how they've come to faith in Jesus. And at my table, there was a tremendous amount of pain that people had been through. Uh, there was one who had experienced childhood sexual abuse. There was one who had lost not one, but two of her uh, adopted parents before she was even out of college. There was another who had been in an abusive dating relationship that had been very, very destructive. Yet, all three of these had trusted in Emmanuel. They had trusted in Jesus, the one who would saved them from their sins and saved them from those sins that were sinned against them. And there was great hope at that table. And I was just marveling. I was just worshiping as I'm hearing their stories and seeing the hope in their eyes and their trust in Christ. I'm telling you, He has come down into paradise lost to bring us hope, forgiveness, and new life. So yeah, trust Him maybe for the first time or trust Him in a fresh way, turning away from those counterfeit ways of carving out paradise and trusting in Him and Him alone for life. We remember this every time we come to this table, do we not? We, we see Jesus in the midst of sin and suffering on the night He's being betrayed, the night before His death on the cross. He takes bread, He breaks it, He gives it to His disciples. He says, take, eat, this is my body. Don't miss that. 
One of the things he's declaring there is that he is a, he's a human being. He's not just faking it. He, he's, he's not just God in kind of a, a human suit, kind of faking us out. He's like, I'm a human. Like, I've taken on a human nature. But not only that, he then takes the cup and, and, and he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sin. Right? He, he's letting them know, I didn't just come in a human body, I came to die for sin. I'm going to pour out my blood on that very next day on the cross in order to save sinners like you and me. He says, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. And so when we come to this table, we're remembering Jesus, fully God, fully human, who died in our place, poured out his blood to save us from our sins and to return us to paradise. So if you've trusted in Christ, you're a Christ follower, we welcome you to the table to, to remember in this Lord's Supper, to take the bread and the cup. If you're here investigating the faith, you're just beginning maybe to understand what Christianity means and you know you're not yet a Christian, we're going to ask you to remain in your seat during this time. We're glad you're here. We actually, uh, we hope that this place is a place where people can investigate and ask questions and explore. But during this time, we're going to ask those that are not Christians to remain in their seats. While that's all going on, I'll be in the back with a few others available to pray with you. Uh, It's a time to, if you want to ask a question or chat or have a prayer, that's what we're back there for. You're certainly welcome to come up after the service and talk uh, as well. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you, you're God with us. Lord, as hard as we may, might have tried to sort of build a ladder to you with our good works or our religious ritual or whatever you might try to get to you, Lord, we, we could have never made it. We needed you to come down. And you did it. And you became a human being and you took on this human nature, Lord. And we're, we're so grateful for the the reality of the incarnation and what you did in that human nature to die human death in place of sinners and to forgive us of our sins, Lord, and to eventually completely rescue us from the effects of sin, Lord, to rescue us from paradise lost. So we celebrate that today. We sing praises to the one who has done that for us by your grace. And we remember it as we take this bread and take this cup. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.